G'day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please visit anglicandolby.org.au. This week's sermon is a special sermon for Christ the King, but it also marks the end of our Follow the Saviour series in Mark. Because we're looking at the whole book of Mark, there won't be a Bible reading at the beginning of the sermon, but we hope you enjoy it all the same. May the words of my lips and the thoughts of our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, it's 3pm on a hot and dusty day in Jerusalem. A Roman soldier is guarding three men as they writhe in pain. It's been dark since midday, which is frightening enough. But suddenly, one of his victims screams. The earth shakes, and a terrible tearing noise comes from the temple. Jesus, the prisoner, is dead, and the soldier makes a terrifying discovery. Surely this man was the Son of God. Today is Christ the King, the day we celebrate Jesus' kingship and all that means for us. It's also the close of our Follow the Saviour series. Over the last year, we've looked at the life of Jesus through the Gospel of Mark, 23 servants sifting through Mark's account of Jesus' life with a fine-tooth comb, trying to understand who Jesus is, why that matters, and what it means to follow the Saviour. The central theme through Mark's Gospel is the good news that Jesus is God's forever King, and Mark wants us to follow him. But he doesn't do a hard sell. Instead, he lays out Jesus' story for us to decide for ourselves. Today, we're going to work backwards through Mark and see why Jesus is King, why it matters, and why we should follow the Savior. So first, we learn that he shook the temple and took the title. The shaking our centurion friend felt when he died was no fluke. Mark 15.12 tells us that on the cross, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This curtain was 10 centimetres thick, 9 metres wide, and 18 metres high. It separated the people from the presence of God inside the Holy of Holies. The people knew they couldn't survive before God's holiness, so the curtain was a barrier separating God from man and for man's protection. Jesus' death tears away for you and me to come into God's presence without being wiped out by his holiness. Mark here is showing us the power and the spiritual impact of Jesus' death for us. Imagine for just a moment what it would have taken to tear that mammoth curtain in two. That's the strength and power of Jesus. But even before this, Mark is showing us Jesus' kingship. In chapter 15, verse 2, Jesus is led out before the Roman ruler Pontius Pilate, who asks him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Now at the time, Joe Schmo would have known that saying something like this was suicide. Many had claimed the title of king of the Jews before Jesus, and all of them had been executed. If Jesus didn't think he was king, he could have simply said, Not I, sir, and saved his life. He doesn't claim this title for himself, but he does accept it. This would have been blasphemy, a blight on God's honor, if Jesus had not known it to be true. While everyone seems confused about Jesus, he knows exactly who he is. And this, friends, is part of the importance of today. 
Jesus wasn't just a nice guy who got into trouble with nasty people. Many teach that he was a victim, but the events surrounding his betrayal and death tell a different story. Mark wants us to know that Jesus is a saviour king who doesn't want to dominate you, but suffers for you instead. Jesus shook the world and took the title of king because that is who he is. Spanish artist Salvador Dali was a haunted soul, but he was fascinated by Jesus. In his painting, Crucifixion Corpus Hypercubus, he really brings out how Jesus' crowning moment was on the cross. But the journey to his coronation is revealed gradually throughout Mark. Jesus revealed his glory and he came in peace. Even before the events of Holy Week, Mark shows us Jesus' true identity. Perhaps the most telling moments are when Jesus reveals his glory. Throughout the Gospel, Jesus seems to constantly put the brakes on people's expectations. However, there are two instances in Mark where Jesus lets his disciples worship him. The first is on the mountain of transfiguration. In Mark 9, Jesus takes Peter, James and John up with him on a mountain. There he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. Now in the Bible, there are three offices of leadership, prophet, priest, and king. Elijah the prophet, Elijah was the great prophet, and in many ways, Moses was a priestly leader, which leaves Jesus as the king. But the disappearance of Moses and Elijah show us how much greater Jesus is. Moses and Elijah are great examples, but Jesus is sufficient by himself. All the disciples want to do is stay and bask in his presence. And as Jesus gives this taste of his glory, the Father says from heaven, This is my Son, whom I love. Listen to him. Jesus gives his disciples and us, readers of the Bible today, a taste of his glory, and God affirms this glory. But he doesn't need heavenly pyrotechnics. And his second revelation of glory happens in a humbler way on Palm Sunday. As Jesus prepares to enter Jerusalem, he tells his disciples to nick a donkey. And if they get hassled, all they need to do is tell the owners the master needs it. By some miracle, this plan works. And as Jesus enters Jerusalem, a crowd shouts out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Hosanna means save. Even though he's riding on a humble beast of burden and not in a chariot or on a war horse, Jesus is a people's king. I remember after Princess Diana died, people called her the Queen of Hearts. While she had no claim to the throne, the people enthroned her on their hearts. Jesus has every claim to the throne, but he is also the King of Hearts. Jesus comes in peace to be a worshipping king, one whose first concern is the glory of God, then the well-being of his people. Jesus fed the hungry and he healed the sick. This is the third thing we learn in Mark about Jesus and his royal mission. Sometimes princes, prime ministers, presidents and the kings of today like to get a photo up with a sick person or donate money to charity as a side project. But Jesus came to feed the hungry and heal the sick. 
As we saw a few weeks ago, Jesus fed 5,000 plus people and then 4,000 more later on. These mass feedings aren't publicity stunts. They are manifestations of the abundance and fullness of the kingdom of God. Jesus doesn't describe heaven as a place up in the clouds with winged babies playing harps. Heaven is not a nappy ad. It's a banquet. Jesus is the king who nourishes his people and welcomes all into God's fullness. If this weren't enough, he has compassion and spends enormous amounts of energy healing the sick and loving the unloved. Mark is the shortest gospel, but it records the most miracles. In Mark, Jesus casts out demons out of three people, heals three blind people, three disabled people, three sick people, and one dead girl. Thirteen healings in all, with many others referred to, and many more healed or exercised by Jesus' disciples. While healing is a focus, Jesus is clearly not a magical genie doing tricks to make a name for himself. In healing people, the kingdom of God takes over their bodies and they are made whole on earth as it is in heaven. There's a story about Queen Victoria who, like Queen Elizabeth II, had a deep faith. One day she was strolling through a garden when she learnt that the owner of a nearby cottage was sick. The next day she visited the woman and made it clear that she wasn't visiting as a queen, but as a good Christian woman. She prayed for her, then pulled a Bible from the bookshelf and read from John 14 to encourage her patient. As she left, she said, Put your trust in Jesus, and you will soon be in a land where there is no pain. You are a widow, so am I. We shall soon meet our beloved ones. Queen Victoria ruled over an empire on which the sun never set. Yet she worshipped a king who fed the hungry and healed the sick. Jesus also calmed the storm and gathered a people. Now at this point, some like to press pause and say that's enough. Jesus was a nice man who did nice things and died tragically. But for Mark, who was a close friend of Peter, who was Jesus' best friend, and knew Jesus better than any of us, this simply won't do. Jesus' miracles in Mark aren't only healing miracles. They're miracles of nature and gathering miracles. In Mark 4, we're told of a violent storm where Jesus' fishermen disciples are scattered and they're scared out of their minds. Then Jesus gets up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now one time might have been a coincidence, but in Mark 6, Jesus walks on water and calms another storm. Mark is showing us Jesus' authority over nature. Even the wind and the waves obey him, and while great leaders in the Old Testament would ask God to part the waters for them, Jesus tells the waters what to do. He also gathers a people. From the get-go, Jesus' miracles attract crowds, and he calls some of them to be disciples. He then appoints twelve disciples, equal to the twelve tribes of Israel, many of which had been lost at the time. King Jesus is renewing the kingdom of Israel. And he soon begins to send out his people to go and tell others about this kingdom of God. In Mark 6, he sends out the twelve, and they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil, and he healed them. 
Jesus is a king who gathers a people and then empowers them to live out God's plans. Slowly, a group of women and men take up his call to follow him on the way, and the people of God begin to grow. Discipleship is key for Jesus, and faith in God is faith in him. Jesus is fulfilling God's promises to Israel. He's not an isolated rogue king who rules by putting others down. He's a unifying king who gathers a people and spurs them on. Jesus isn't just a nice man doing good deeds. He is the God-man who calmed the storm and gathered a kingdom, setting hearts on fire. And this brings us back to the beginning of the gospel where, where, G, where Mark writes the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And that's my final point. Jesus brought good news and rose again. As I said in the beginning, Mark doesn't want to tell us what to think, but for him, Jesus is good news. Jesus is the Messiah, God's chosen and anointed king. The first words Jesus says in Mark are, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. It's a simple, dynamic, and also clear mission. A new king has come on the scene. And this is the hard part of Christ the King for many of us. The kings we know today are outdated, defunct rulers. Having one man with unlimited power leading a country sounds unrealistic or terrifying. We might have a king of rugby league or the king of rock and roll, but we don't want anyone to be king of us. And friends, this is the good news. Jesus is unlike any other king. He's the king of kings and lord of lords. Jesus turns the world as we know it upside down and makes all that is bad good, all that is wrong right, and all that is dead alive again. Mark has a journey that begins with good news and ends with it. You see, our king dies, but three days later he rises. It's not that Jesus was the Son of God, it's that Jesus is the Son of God. King of kings and Lord of lords, raised up from the dead, high and exalted to rule with authority. Our world is exhausting, with people trying to control us and the frustration of us trying to control and rule ourselves. Our complete failure and constant marathon, trying to find something or someone to fill the king-sized hole in our hearts, comes to an end with Jesus. Jesus rose from the dead. He now reigns on high as king of all, and one day all who trust in him will join him. Anglican theologian Mike Bird writes this, We are not on the throne yet, but our man is. The prospect of reigning with Christ should cultivate a deep desire to live lives worthy of our royal calling. It should promote a sense of awe at the grace of God, which had turned sinners who ranged against the kingdom into a royal heirs of the glorious king. The question for us remains, though, will we give our hearts to the king? Will we follow the Saviour? Amen.